Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. What's up, guys? I'm going to keep the intro very short and sweet today. Today we had on Paul Ravella. He is a very successful bodybuilding coach and lifestyle coach. He offers a world of information, so if you're interested in starting up a business on your own or just want to know more about the online coaching space, this is the guy to listen to. Enjoy. So go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners. Uh, my name is Paul Ravella. I'm the owner of Pro Physique Incorporated. Uh, we are a 26-person uh, company now with 20 of the people being coaches and the rest being like digital and, and management type um, positions um, where we are online coaches. So we try to provide a premier service of, you know, very detailed one-on-one -on -one online coaching. Um, and I myself am a competitive bodybuilder, have been competing since 2008 and a father of two boys married. And, um, you know, that's basically my life. I just, uh, work, hang out with the family, go to the gym and repeat. Now, when it comes, I, I would love to hear the origin story, right? So why fitness? Um, I mean, if we're going to go way back to when I was in high school and the first time uh, one of my friends started working out and I saw he had like a bigger bicep than me, I thought, okay, that's cool. Uh, how do I do that? Um, but I also grew up playing uh, sports. I was, um, I played baseball in college on scholarship. So I was introduced to sports very young, always on the basketball court, baseball field, volleyball court. And, you know, I think I just became, I, I became very interested in physique changes i noticed like okay this guy is more muscle than this guy this person's leaner this girl you know so i don't know i was always just very interested in the idea of physique manipulation i didn't really pay attention to it as a career choice when i went to college in 1994 as a baseball player i thought okay i'm gonna play baseball and be rich doing that but i always gravitated towards the weight room you know all my friends wanted to like when practice was over go do other stuff i wanted to go lift weights i didn't realize at the time that i was actually more interested in weightlifting than i was in baseball um so i i just always would spend my summers bodybuilding and you know reading all the magazines and the arnold encyclopedia and i still have probably two to three hundred muscle magazines that i bought in my 20s you know i've kept them all um it wasn't until 2000 I'm sorry it would have been yeah it would have been 2006 or 7 that I got on a message board for bodybuilding.com and I, I had a career at that point in IT I was a bodybuilding nerd I, I still loved it but it was the first time that I realized you could go online and meet people that were interested in the same things as you um, I started following a guy named Lane Norton reached out to him because he, he introduced me to something called natural bodybuilding, which I didn't know was a thing. I was a natural athlete. I thought I'm never going to do bodybuilding because I don't want to look like Ronnie Coleman. And when I found out about natural bodybuilding, I emailed Lane, he emailed me back and then we started working together. And that was my entry into like, okay, from just a passive kind of hobby to like taking it a little bit more seriously, actually changing my lifestyle around quite a bit. I was in my early thirties I stopped the nonsense. I stopped going out drinking three nights a week, you know, and I really got dedicated. And I decided after attending a bodybuilding show in 2007, I was going to do that same show in 2008. And I spent literally an entire year training and eating with that goal in mind. Um, and it changed me profoundly. 
Now, that I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you're like one of the forefront or the, the leaders. Um, you're the first or fast adopter for online coaching, you know, uh, with you and Lane kind of talking about uh, bodybuilding through a forum that was kind of new in its time. I was just curious uh, if you had to work through any kinks when it came to oh, the gosh. online coaching. Yeah, well, first of all, I didn't, I never set out to be an online coach. That was not a, a goal of mine. I just, so what I really liked about um, the bodybuilding.com forums was there were, you know, if you're familiar with the forums, the threads, you could go in and search them and I would look up contest prep and you could go back a year or two or three years and see people had actually documented their entire contest prep. Now, this was back when technology was a little bit more difficult. You actually had to upload pictures to like a, a website that just hosted pictures. And then you had to put the links to the pictures in the thread. Um, so I actually got pretty good at like, you know, documenting my own journey. Mm -hmm. But that was fun for me. It was like, wow, I can see this guy's changes every week. They would post their workouts, their cardios, their diet. And so you could literally, and they're still up. If you go to bodybuilding.com and look up Paul Ravella contest prep, you can go and look through like an entire year of my diet and training. So when I started prepping, I thought I'm going to do the same thing because it helped me seeing someone else's journey. I'm going to share my journey. That then led people to go, oh, could you help me? And my answer was always no, reach out to Lane or reach out to Dr. Joe, reach out to the people that I was working with. Um, but, at, you know, Lane was such an early adopter. I would say Dr. Joe was probably the first full-time online coach. Lane was probably the most well-known. Dr. Joe has no desire to be kind of, you know, well-known lane was like, you know, to this day, he's always the first one on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever's new he's on there. He's, you know, he's a, he's a very forward thinker with social media. He's not like limited. Like it's very hard for me to put my life on social media. Lane doesn't think that way. You know, he's very, very open like that. It's very good for him. Um, so when I got involved, it was literally because Lane was getting so many client inquiries that he's like, I need help. Will you please help me? He was getting, you know, he would tell me he would get upwards of 50 to hundred a day. What? Um, oh yeah. And so I coming from a business background, you know, I have a master's degree in business administration. I've, I've worked in sales, um, you know, businesses that dealt with, you know, at the time what we would call leads. He didn't understand that a person reaching out to him is a lead and that those leads actually have value. And so I would say to him, like, Lane, you don't understand, like, that's money, you're giving away money. And so he actually created a program where coaches that he thought were good at their jobs could get inquiries from him, and they would pay him back, they would give him a percent. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he thought of that as a serious business. But in my mind, even back then, I was like, man, he's really missing out on a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But he was also making a fuck ton of money. It wasn't like he was <laughs> broke, right? So he was in his mind doing something good for the business. So he encouraged me to start my own business. Of the 10 people or so that he was helping do this, I'm probably the one that adopted it the best. Mm -hmm. I was also one of the few people that actually paid him. A lot of the other coaches were just not paying him, which I could never understand. I'm like, this guy's literally giving you money and you're not going to give him like 10% of what you make. Right. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. So eventually he and I became such good friends. He's like, well, just stop paying me, you know, and that, that's kind of where the, the business took off. But yeah, I, I guess I was one of the early adopters. The difficulty early on was people would message you and go, how do I work with you if you're an online coach? Mm -hmm. And you would actually have to convince people, okay, well, here's how it goes. Um, the, the results kind of spoke for themselves. So the reason I worked with Lane was because he had coached Tommy Jeffers and I watched the videos and I'm like, well, they don't live in the same town. 
If he can do it with Tommy, he can do it with me. So that's really where we got the buy-in from people. So when it comes down to, I mean, it's for anybody, they can see how your business blew up if you're working hand in hand with a well-known person like Lane Norton. But how does one continue to grow and continue to acquire more uh, participants in your business? Yeah, for me, it was actually just, I kind of had to go out on my own um because there was a there was a phase i don't know maybe five six years ago where lane decided you know what online coaching wasn't his forte he didn't want to do it anymore Mm -hmm. so now that he's not talking about online coaching his inquiries go from you know 50 a day to you know 50 a month Mm -hmm. well there's no longer this hand-me-down where like other coaches are going to benefit from his inquiries so i started noticing i was instead of getting 20 or 30 clients a month from him i was getting five Mm -hmm. um so what i decided to do was instead of um, figuring out the next lane, I tried to become the, I tried to become my own lane. I was like, what can I do? And my, my first idea was, okay, my clients ask me questions every week and I was sending them videos via like private Facebook, you know, groups. And I said, well, I bet if my clients have these questions, the people on the internet have these questions that don't have a coach. So I started doing these little tiny, you know, what is a good fat source? You know, just random questions. What is creatine and putting it on YouTube? Um, thinking that, okay, it's at least easier for me to send them a YouTube link. Right. Not knowing, not really understanding what YouTube was, that it was a search engine, that people were going on YouTube and typing in, how do I build muscle? How do I fix my car? You know, if I'd have had that realization when I started using YouTube, I would have started off when like Scott, Scott Herman, I think it was, or some of the early YouTube adopters that were like getting like 5 million views for like a, how to build a chest video, (laughs) you know, like if you look at those old videos. So, but what I was doing was, I think I created like the, the micro topic. I wasn't doing topics that were like big and getting a million views. Mm -hmm. I was only going to get a thousand views. But a thousand views is a lot of views when you only need a hundred clients to be a very successful coach. Right. Um, and it just kind of started blossoming from there. I started learning how to use YouTube, learning how to use Instagram. I continued to um, uh, attend bodybuilding shows and conferences. And, you know, so I've just, I've con- I, I haven't actually slowed down or changed anything. I've just continued to evolve. And, you know, I probably do more now than ever. Um, I just, I understand it more. Right, right. And I'm just curious, so what is like your average retention rate when it comes to somebody that you're working with now? Is it, I know most of them may be working towards a competition. Do they kind of just drop off after they compete? Yeah, so I'll say this. I'm kind of probably very unique in this regard. My retention rate is very, very high, as in I've had clients for three, four, five years, very commonly. Um, Because I coach competitors who are trying to compete at a high level, we are working on things both in prep and out of prep. We are working on that improvement phase. When I first hired Lane Norton, I didn't hire him for contest prep. I hired him a year out from my show. I take the same philosophy with my clients. Like if we're trying to put on muscle, you know, you can't just show up and be like, okay, I want to do a show in 12 weeks. Your body needs to be in a good place. Your metabolism needs to be in a good place. Your body fat, muscle, all these things. So I typically work with people year round. Now there are some people that I've been working with for so long they'll kind of go off the radar for a few months because they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're already pros. They got their routine. They don't need to check in with me every week, but yeah, I'd say my retention rate, I I don't know if I had to put a number on it. I'd say 70 to 80%. Um, And then that natural attrition that I get is where I get my new clients each year. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's when you work with competitors, 
and they have success, they stick around. When you work with lifestyle clients and they have a weight loss goal, you know, that's going to be your three months to six months. And then probably, you know, you probably won't work with them again. Yeah. And that's, that's, so me personally on the side, I do coach as well. And, and that's one of the issues that I'm, I'm seeing because um, I'm in this boat where I, I do want to help you. I do want to teach you all the tools you need to be successful, but I also need the money, you know, so I don't want you to depend on me, but I also want you to stick around long enough. And that it's like that kind of internal battle of where, where do we, we draw the line, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, so if you're looking, so the nice thing about the fitness industry is it's behind a lot of other industries in, in that the business tools that we use, the practices that we use, you know, we're so new online coaching is less than 10 years old. So we don't have like 50, 60, hundred years of business rules to follow. I had no, my first teacher was Lane. Lane didn't know what the crap he was doing. He was a grad student at Illinois trying to run a business he wasn't learning business stuff. So I applied a lot of the business stuff to my business. And typically what you do with a, say, you know, say you have a client that signs up for a year with, for you or six months and, and pays a high ticket item, thousand, 2000, whatever dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, if you've been working with them for a while and it's a lower maintenance client, cause they know you, you know, them bring their price down, right? It's going to bring you more value. If they're only paying $50 a month versus a new client that's paying you $300 a month. If that new client is emailing you 16 times a day and texting you all day long versus a client that you've been working with for years, you're keeping them around at a lower cost, lower maintenance. So you can apply these kind of business models to your business um, and, and keep people around. And so, you know, pricing structure can have some, some value there. Uh, it just depends, you know, how you want to approach it. What's your personal take? Cause I know some people, they like to do the lump sums. Like, you know, if you, if you buy six months in advance, it's going to be much cheaper or, you know, some people do the the monthly so you can dip out when you want to dip out. Um, what do you think is more beneficial for not only long-term success, but also well, of the client, but also long-term success of the business? Well, I, I personally think monthly subscription is better for the business. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is if you get, let's say in January, you sign up 10 clients, they all pay for a year up front. Well, it looks like you just had a really good month. Mm-hmm. But honestly, you did not have a good month if in February, you don't sign any new clients. Right. Um, and then if one of those clients gets pregnant, and you're an ethical human being, you're going to give them their money back right. now. You know, so you start to see where it goes. So I, I do both, you know, I do offer a one time discounted rate. But I always tell people, do what's best for you. It's it's usually a personality thing. I prefer people to be on month by month um, because that way, if they decide like, hey, something comes up, they get pregnant or they get sick or her COVID happens. Well, I'm not refunding thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm just not collecting a payment that month, right? right. Um, so it, it just depends on where you're at with your business. You know, I will say this. I think my... Um, my sign-up rate and my business started to grow more substantially when I started offering monthly because I didn't always offer that. It was either three, six, or twelve months. Mm-hmm. Now that I do the monthly model, which is partly because the technology is available, you know, because I couldn't, you know, early on I had an Excel spreadsheet with all these invoices and I had to remember to send them every month. I don't have to do that anymore. Um, our company actually has developed a proprietary invoicing tool for all twenty coaches that we have that's something that we've worked on for years, but the monthly model, just very few people are going to be able to plump down thousands of dollars. Um, But I, but again, I'm in a unique position. I do work with people that are so committed. They're like, I don't care. Here's the money. Let's go. Mm -hmm. So if they want to do that, I'm happy, you know, for that as well. 
So I'm also curious because another thing that I, I encounter is, um, and it's almost, it might be like a psychological thing where, you know, at the end of the month, you kind of do your, your, depending on how you do it, but you check in, you say, this is your results. This is where we're going. Would you like to do another month? And then they have to manually send me money because I don't have the technology in place. I feel like that's another barrier where it might make them maybe second guess like, oh, do I really want to do this next month? This is a lot of money. Do you do like an automated system? Yeah, so there's two ways to do that now. PayPal actually offers this service. You don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, so if you're using PayPal, you can set it to a monthly invoice or you can set it to a subscription service where they pay the first month. Once they pay, it's an auto debit for the rest of the time that they're with you. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Taking taking that barrier out is is important. Um, I still prefer to send my clients an inquiry every month and they have to pay it. But again, I'm in a unique position. I get way more inquiries than I could ever hope to coach. Um, and I also want people that want to work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but our business as a whole, we offer the subscription base or the monthly base as well. So, you know, I, I would certainly look into PayPal and there's probably some other platforms. I know Stripe has some interesting, some tools, but yeah, you, you don't really want your I mean, even myself, even you, if you think of yourself, if every month you had to go in and get an email from your phone company and pay the bill, no, it's on auto debit. You don't have to think about it. And so I think of, you know, fitness coaching is the same thing. Um, Now, if someone doesn't check in with me for a while, I'll just cancel their subscription. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to try to just auto debit their account for for, forever. Um, I do try to keep good, good ethics involved. But, um, you know, if someone's hired you for coaching and they're not checking in, you know, that's something you have to discuss with them. Right. Now, you, you mentioned how you expanded this business. So I think you, I believe you said 20 coaches. Is that what yeah, you said? 20 now. 20 coaches. That's, that's incredible. Now, you know, with the, with the business, you got to keep people coming in. You did mention you have a good retention rate, but I guess when you're first starting out, right, when do you make that decision other than, hey, there's more clients than I can coach? When do you make that decision to say, I need another person on board here? Because I don't know if this was came across your mind, but it's like, what if this is no longer high leads? I, I no longer have these leads. Do I fire this person? You know what I'm saying? So how yeah. do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, these are all things that I cross my mind. Um, honestly, I got to a point where I couldn't even keep up with the inquiries I had. I literally had like hundreds of inquiries that I hadn't even read just because I had I didn't have time. Um, And this is probably when I was back in school with you, you know, I was literally sitting in class, like looking through inquiries. um, And and Stephen Bogrand, who was my first ever hire, his job was literally, I said, I just want you to go through these leads. And if you see clients with good potential, that's who I want to speak to, you know, because some people would fill it out and it would have no information, no pictures, you know, and I'd be like, okay, is this a serious person? Then there would be some that'd be like, hey, I watched your videos. I met you at this conference. I really want to work with you. That's who I want to speak to. So he would go through and do that. Then after a while, I said, well, are you interested in being a coach? And Stephen was somebody who had a, you know, he was working on his master's degree in exercise science. He was already doing some, you know, coaching on his own. He had competed in bodybuilding. So we had a lot in common. And he, he said, indeed, he was interested. I said, well, let's work out a deal. All the clients that I'm not interested in We'll figure out if they'll speak to you. And even that was a a tough sell because someone's reaching out to work with me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going, hey, work with Steven. They're like, who the hell is Steven? Mm -hmm. So that is an evolution that we had to work on. Mm -hmm. But it's never occurred to me that I've worried about the client inquiries drying up because as I've said, they come in at a much faster rate. And as I've continued to evolve, you know, 
my YouTube channel, my Instagram. Now we're getting inquiries, not from me, but from the coaches of the people that are under pro physique. So when Sally is in the gym and she's lost 10 pounds and she's looking really good. Oh, how'd you get these results? Oh, I work with a girl named Kate. Oh yeah. Where's she at? Here she is. So people are finding pro physique that have never even heard of me now. So it's almost like good coaching, like I was doing when no one had heard of me is feeding into the business now. And that's allowing us to continue to grow. And the other good thing is like, so, you know, my goal is not to add more coaches. We add coaches out of necessity. Steven was the first coach. If he never got to the point where he had too many clients, we never would have added the second. And likewise down the line. So basically I have a woman who's in charge. Her name is Sandy. She's wonderful. She reviews all the inquiries that come in every day. And she says, Oh, this one with Paul, this one is Kate. This one is Tyler. This one is Steven. And she'll tell me, okay, all the coaches are full. I got a hundred inquiries this week and I have no one to send them to. I'm like, okay, we have a list of potential candidates that we've been speaking to. Cause we, now we have the process in place. Um, let's, let's speak to Jojo about coming on board or Rachel as a coach. And that's kind of how we handle it. So we make sure we're not stepping on the toes of our current coaches. I never want it to be a situation where they feel like, you know, listen, I want them to feel like they got to do a good job, but I don't want them to feel like, Oh, he keeps bringing on coaches. No, mm -hmm. I had three or four coaches make more than six figures last year. I don't know the exact number, but quite a few. I mean, this is a full-time job for them. So I'm not just, you know, I don't have 20 coaches with eight clients. Mm -hmm. A lot of my coaches are very full-time and that's their only career. So I, obviously this business is your baby. And you, when you bring somebody on, they are a proxy of you. They represent you yeah. and this company. What mm -hmm. are some, because you said you were vetting them. You had this list. What, how do they make that list? And how do you know, like, okay, you can now graduate into becoming a, a member of this business? Yeah. I mean, a lot, I mean, all my first coaches were my clients okay. um, or very close acquaintances, because like you said, it's, it's, um, it's hard to trust somebody with something that is, you know, been built from the ground up by you. Um, but I don't know how well, you know, Steven, but he's just a very high character, hardworking, you know, the one thing that impressed me the most about most about Steven when I met him was he would come to class, uh, dress like a fool in tank tops. He had tattoos, but whenever the teacher would ask questions, and I remember my first class that I took was exercise physiology, which was a tough class. I mean, you had to understand chemistry. You had to understand things on a very high level. He was always the one answering the questions. And I'd be like, man, this weirdo dude actually knows the stuff. Well, come to find out he's a full-time student. He's living at home, but he's also working full-time in a restaurant. And so as someone who myself, I worked in a restaurant for years like I just saw like, okay, this kid's a hard worker. He's not like going to college on mom's dime, sitting on Facebook, which a lot of the kids in the class were, you know, I'd sit in the back of the class. I could see their Facebook open. And I, I just, I just saw like, he's got that motor. He's, he's, he wants to be successful. So I felt very good about him. And so it kind of goes like that. Like we're, I'm not looking, I don't have an open access where I'm like, Hey, we're recruiting people. Right. It's more like, you know, I have some people reach out to me that kind of fit the mold and we just keep them on a, on a list. Um, right. But almost all the coaches ha have come directly from, from me or, you know, uh, been coached by me because then they understand our philosophies. 
Right. And you have that intimate relationship with that person, you know, it makes them tick. And as you said, you know, uh, it's the small things that they they show. Are, are they on Facebook? Are they actually paying attention? Are they actually working for what they're doing? Because as you know, if you you put the work in for what you're doing, you're going to care about it much more versus if somebody's handing you a degree or handing you money. Yeah, I mean, the one thing, you know, that, that's the diff- most difficult is like, no one's going to care as much about your business as you are. So I have to be careful there. They are still like working. But what I look for is people that actually love coaching because I've, what I've realized over the years is that there's a lot of money in online coaching. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are in the online coaching business that don't actually like coaching. Mm-hmm. They don't actually want to speak to people. They don't actually want to know people. They just want to send out some training plans and collect thousands of dollars. That's not what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to know our clients. We are involved in their lives. We're trying to, you know, so I'm looking for that type of coach. And if you have that type of coach, mm-hmm. it's going to go well. Like, right. you know, you're going to get good results. Your clients are going to buy in um, and they're going to tell their friends. And, you know, it, it's, it's not complicated, but a lot of people fake passion for coaching and um, you just, you know, it's, it's kind of easy to see through for me. Right, right. And that brings me to my next question, because I'd like to hear, I mean, you're a successful business, obviously. So I'd just like to know the intricacies and how the business works. And you mentioned that you're building a relationship with this client. How often do you check in with these clients? You know, so for example, I would check in once a week, and you can get a lot of information, you get a good grasp of who you're working with, with just that one time. But I'm not also working with the amount of clientele that you guys are working with. Oh, every week. I mean, you know, clients are checking in every week for sure. Um, If not more than once a week, you know, depending on their goals, you know, so like if we have a power lifter, um, let's say that they're doing a, like an AMRAP set on Fridays to set up their next training block, you know, Mm -hmm. twice that week, but basically it's going to be a nutrition uh, check-in at least once a week. And then for my competitors, that becomes very hands-on. I'm talking to them as the show approaches at least probably twice a week, the week of the show, we talk every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, that becomes very, very hands-on. And, it, and it's almost a weird thing where like we get to know each other so well once the shows are over. I often tell my clients like it's weird to go from talking to you every day to not speaking to you but once a week. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and, and that's it. Like, you know, online coaching is not scalable for an individual beyond the amount of clients you can happily handle. Mm-hmm. Is that 50? Is that 500? It, whatever your schedule allows and your clients are happy with is what it allows. But the, it, you can't go past that. You can't go, well, I'm at 500 clients. I'm just going to add another hundred. You can't. So how do you scale? That became the question for us. And my real problem was there was a real, real issue with the quality of coaching, especially for contest prep competitors, where I often felt obligated to take on more clients than I could handle because I knew my bat, my limited coaching time was way better than the cookie cutter crap that they were getting from their previous or another coach. So I often do that, but now I don't have to do that anymore. Now I've got so many coaches under us that I never feel guilty. If I have to say, listen, I, I can't handle any more clients, but I'll put you in touch with a good client. Sometimes that takes me saying like, Hey, you know, seven, eight years ago, people were reaching out to lane and wanting to work with lane and they were getting me instead. And they were like, but I want to work with lane. Now it's the same thing with me. So when I tell you to work with a coach, you have to trust that I'm putting you in good hands, just like Lane was doing back then. He wasn't sending you off to people that had bad intentions. And so I think that's allowed us to to grow. And, you know, we've had to learn how to handle that situation, but that's a part of growing a business, you know, like 
I'm, I've never been in a hurry. I'm, I, you know, all the people that talk about 10xing their business and 7xing their business, I, 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 all I'm trying to do is 1.1 exit mm-hmm. every single year. Just, just keep gradually moving forward. And when you do it that way, you make the best decisions. Um, you're not, you know, you don't, you don't compromise your morals and ethics because you're like, okay, I made, I made a million dollars next year. I got to make 10. No, right. Right. that's not what it's about. Now, I, I just want to switch gears here because I am curious, uh, you know, you've been in the business quite a long time and with anybody that actually cares about the craft, they're going to have some sort of growth. Can you recall upon anything that you maybe say like, okay, I was not operating on the best knowledge or the best techniques and you shifted to something that's better? I mean, the perfect example would be like what we're doing here with this chat online. This wasn't available when I first started coaching. It was all via email mm-hmm. um, and it was all via text. And I don't even remember if I had a, yeah, I guess I probably had an iPhone at the time, but phones just weren't as handy, you know, texting and, and there was no Instagram when I first started coaching. So like the, the communication wasn't as easy. It wasn't as effortless. Mm-hmm. So over time I've evolved. Now I have a tool in my um, client update system where I literally can just send a video at the drop of a dime. Like if, if I get an update, I hit record, I tell them what I want to change and they get a message from me. So mm-hmm. Whereas when I first started coaching, I thought you had to keep a distance, mm-hmm. you know, it was best to keep a distance like, okay, you know me through email, but we don't know each other. What I have found is that the, I try to be a little bit more hands-on and closer with my clients. And that makes me feel better as a coach. I actually know my clients, you know, mm-hmm. I like, if I see them, I can talk to them about their family, their friends, their job. Like I know them. It's not just a, give me some money. Here's a plan don't bother me on the weekends transaction. So that's probably been the biggest thing. Now, if you're talking about like the science and the evidence-based movement and all those things, I mean, we could talk about that as well. But for me, the biggest thing has just been being a very hands-on coach. Right. And, and that's, a, that's a great point because I think a lot of people are afraid to make that that closer connection with their clients. Um, maybe because it wasn't a organic uh, connection to begin with. It started off as a business deal versus a friendship. And obviously, if you're good at coaching and you care about the client, it's going to it's going to become a friendship. But as, as you said, I, I think a lot of people do have that that unspoken barrier. Like, do I do I am I am I bothering them? You know? Yeah, I mean, and people still treat me like that. They're like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. I didn't want to bother you. And I often have to say, like, you can't bother me. If I don't want to answer, my phone will be off. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm you know, the benefit of being 45 is I remember life before the Internet. Um so I'm not attached, like, I, I don't know, I guess kids, or I don't know, maybe even people in their 30s now, no, don't remember a time without the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm at home, I leave my phone in the house, I leave for three, four hours, I don't care. Like, it, I don't need to have my phone on me at all times. And so I'm able to disconnect. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go to bed at night, I leave my phone in the kitchen, I don't bring it in the room, you know, little things like that. Whereas I feel like, yeah, you would be bothering me if it was two in the morning and you texted me, but you you literally can't bother me. Right. You know, like right. I, you know, if I if you can reach me, it's because I want to be reached. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess the the final topic that I would like to cover uh, before you know, I don't want to waste any more of your time is when it comes to the 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 bodybuilding peak week. I ask every coach that comes on here that specializes in it, and everybody has a different approach. And I, I was just curious now, I guess I'll rephrase my question so our listeners don't, you know, hear the same answer from our guest is 
let's say let's just say hypothetically you you're, you're dealing with a client that might be stressed or they're just they're not where they should be when when they should be peaking essentially uh what what is your game plan like what you you can take this any way you want but what is your game plan when the peak is not going right well my my goal for every competitor is to have them so ready before peak week that we're not actually peaking um, in the sense that we're trying to manipulate too many variables what i do during peak week is i begin to reduce cardio starting on Monday. I begin to increase carbs beginning on Monday. Um, I train at normal intensity, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's very light training, just like a 45 minute light circuit, just to, you know, keep them in their routines. And my goal there is, you know, cortisol is going to be dropping because cardio is down, sleep is going to be improving. And what typically happens is the body just starts to look better every single day. So if this person is, is stressed, the last thing I'd want to do is stress them out more by kind of doing more cardio or trying to restrict food. The best we ever look is when we're very lean, but then food is going up. That is how every bodybuilder looks their best. Now we try to handle this a lot of different ways. Um, and I've tried them all because listen, I'm not, I'm not going to say like, well, Cliff Wilson does it this way, but I don't want to do it. Cause that's, listen, I don't care. I want my clients to get the best results possible. I want them to have the best approach and hands down, the number one approach that I found is this linear loading of carbohydrates. I do not want to deplete an athlete who's about to get on stage for three days. I do not want to completely pull the glycogen out of their body. You look terrible. You feel terrible. Mm -hmm. I am gradually walking carbohydrates up in a very predict predictable manner based on how prep went. I'm also checking in with them twice a day on peak week in the morning and post-workout. Um, that might be one, one check-in if they work out in the morning, but I want to know how they look and feel when they wake up. And I want to know how they look and feel after they work out. And every day carbs are going up, cardio is coming down to the point where I'm telling you every single one of these clients is dropping weight, looking harder and fuller going into a show um, versus the typical approach where you're either backloading a thousand carbs on Friday and you can't sleep because I don't know if you've ever seen those protocols, but you wake up every two hours to eat. Yeah. Um, or you do something where you manipulate water and sodium and you're just looking in the mirror every hour stressed out because you're like, oh, I'm telling you when you walk food up and cardio down and sleep goes up, you just look good all the damn time. You don't have to look in the mirror every five seconds. You're just like, damn, this is me. So, so when it, when it comes down to, cause a lot of people talk about uh, not wanting to spill their carbohydrates, but I, it seems like with your approach, they're not going to spill because you're just walking up the carbohydrates. Each yeah. Day. You can't spill. So, you know, spilling a carbohydrate. Um, I mean, if you, do that. The, I'm usually more concerned with the people that deplete. You're not going to have time to fill out because it's wonderful to say, Hey, I'm going to get a thousand grams of, you know, I'm going to thousand carbs 24 hours out before the show. But the big, you know, stopgap there is the digestive system. Mm -hmm. You've got to digest that crap. Right. So let's say I have a client that refeeds on say 250 grams of carbs once a week on Monday, they're probably going to be a peak week. They're probably going to be 150. Then we'll probably go up 30 or 40 a day. So that by Friday, we're probably at 350, 400. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they've actually gotten a thousand grams of carbs over the course of three days going into the show, but they weren't depleted. Mm -hmm. And you'll just see them getting their muscles just filling and filling and filling. And every day, based on how they look, we can either add more, be more aggressive, or we can pull back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the best way to clear any kind of spillage, let's say, let's say Friday morning, they, they had they had 300 carbs on Thursday night. They woke up and they looked a little bit soft. They're like, oh, I don't like this. Well, guess what? You just go work out for half an hour, 45 minutes. 
you pull that glycogen back into the muscle. And instead of 300 the day before the show, we'll go back to 270 because that's what looked really good Wednesday night, right? So you've already kind of played with the numbers. And so it's, it's, it's not about like being so aggressive that you're going to get this miracle look. It's about looking really fucking good after six months of working your butt off right? and looking good all day long too. Cause don't forget a lot of people look, you know, they'll look good when they do these crazy approaches for an hour or two, but if you're not on stage when that happens, sorry. <laughs> and then also don't forget, you got to come back for finals. If you're in an overall with my look, everyone's going up. They know exactly what they're going to eat on show day. It's not a, it's not a question. They, they're probably just going to repeat what they did Friday. When it, when it comes to the, uh, I know prepping for the show, I think I recall some of your content saying that you prefer a very long cut because it's not that drastic. Do you still maintain that ideology? Yeah, I mean, long as in like the weeks of the prep instead of being 12 weeks might be 20. However, we're not going to spend all 20 of those weeks in prep. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use diet breaks. And that's probably been one of the biggest changes to contest prep in my career is adding those recovery weeks in has been hands down the greatest thing you can do for an athlete. It improves the the response to the, to the athlete. They look better and feel better during that recovery week. Um, it, it improves the recovery after the show. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I can't explain it, but there's a correlation. The amount of people that I have going to a show who have taken a diet break and, and food goes up into the show, I would say it's less than 5% of those people end up um, putting weight on rapidly after the show. Mm-hmm. You just aren't as food focused. You aren't um, as, you know, you're not hiding food in your room or planning where you're going to go eat. You literally just go back into your normal prep. Right. Right. Just go back. You usually start the reverse. If the season's over on the numbers you had Friday before the show, they literally will tell me like, coach, I'm, I'm not, I don't even want to go out after the show. I'm kind of full. Can I just go home? I'm sure. You know, like, cause they've been eating all week. It's not like they're they're backstage like cracking cookies open, like smelling them, waiting till the show's over. No, like they don't do that. They don't need to. You know, so that that's, you know, I read a lot of uh, literature when it comes to refeeds and it does have a, a, a massive benefit, as you just said. And you, you talked about how you, or you implied that you have your athletes do about a week of a refeed or a diet break. I, I'm curious as to when would you employ it? What are some of the things that you're, you see, you're like, okay, we need, we need a diet break next yeah. week. Yeah, usually it's like, okay, so the athlete's already pretty lean. Like we're not doing a refeed like week two of prep, right? A diet break. It's going to be probably, you know, at the beginning of prep, it's probably going to be 10, 12 weeks in when you're starting to get pretty lean, but you're also getting depleted. Um, I'm looking for signs of like not sleeping well. Maybe we made an adjustment or two and it's like, coach, um, you know, I know we just made an adjustment, but the scale didn't really move. I'm really sore this week. The weights feel heavy. Okay. We're cutting your cardio in half, dead dead down the middle. If they're doing 45 minutes a day, an hour a day, they're cutting that right in half. Um, We're bringing the carbs up. We're bringing the fats up. And we're going to put you at maintenance for a week. And I promise you, that has been life-changing. You know, like a lot of my athletes early on would be like, are you sure? We're in prep. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. They drop weight. They sleep better. They recover better. The training improves. They're happy with the way they look. Now we can get back on track and start grinding again. They respond better to the adjustments. They feel better. They saw themselves looking good. It's just like, there's almost no negatives. Mm -hmm. The only negative would be is if they don't follow the plan. Mm -hmm. So the term diet break is a term that I don't really love because the term break implies like, oh, it's a break from dieting. Right. But you got to remember my population of athletes, 
they will literally eat dirt and walk backwards for 17 hours a day. So if I tell them to eat 180 grams of carbs versus 130, you mm -hmm. bet your ass they're eating 180 because they don't want to go off plan. If you tell Sally from the gym, oh, it's a diet break, you can eat this much carbs. She's probably like, well, I'll eat this and that's about right. And, mm -hmm. and so then you might have a problem where you actually gain weight, but for competitors, it's been life altering. Now, like, you know, as you talk about this, more and more questions keep popping up. So like I said, I'm, I, I swear to you, I don't want to take up too much of your time. No, but you're fine. I'm, like this, these are the questions I love answering because these are the questions I had, believe me, five years ago when I started doing it. <laughs> when, when, so like, for example, like if I'm working with a client that is, has already pretty low calories overall, um, just, just naturally, uh, let's say they do want to lose weight. And I, and I just, I don't feel right cutting calories. Cause it's like, who wants to eat under 2000 calories? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm assuming you wouldn't cut the calories as well. Maybe you would, but what is it that depends on the goal? I, this is the one thing I've learned to do is listen to my clients. Uh -huh. If you have a client that is like, I'm going to do this with or without you. I want this goal. I don't really put limits on what people are capable of. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had a client come to me before and, and we were a couple of weeks out from a show and I'm like, listen, you're not going to be ready. And she was like, listen, I'm getting married. Two weeks after the show, I'm doing the show. I want to win. You tell me what to do and I'll let you know if I can do it. And I said, okay, this is what we have to do. This okay. is well outside of my normal scope of practice. I would not usually put calories this low, cardio this high. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, the girl lost like six weeks, six pounds in two weeks and she reached her goal and she was happy. Uh -huh. Had I been like, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, is that good coaching? Like, you know, to me, it comes down to making sure that your client understands what their goals are, what it's going to mean. And if those align, go for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, who's to say, like, you know, I always go back to that guy in England that was like 358 pounds in the 50s. And he fasted for an entire year, got down to 180 pounds. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound like it's a great idea, but it's medically possible. He was supervised, you know, and so like I, you can, the only limitation you can put on a person is the ones they put on themselves. So I, I really try to get to know the client mm -hmm. and, and, and inform them. Like I wouldn't advise this, but if, if it's where your heart is at, because I'm an athlete too, like when I want something to happen, I'm going to make it happen. Right. My right. calories get below 2000. I don't give a crap as long as I'm, I'm working towards something. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. It's um, it may, you know, it's a little bit different from the population that I guess I was asking the question from, cause it was like lifestyle right. and, and yes. it makes a lot of sense. Cause like at, if you're an athlete, it's kind of like from, from me, from a, a practitioner standpoint, like, you know, if somebody says I'm an athlete and I go, Oh, I think you shouldn't work out for a couple of weeks. They're, they're going to laugh in your face and walk out. You, you do have yep. to adapt to what they want and just give them the best parameters that they're willing to adhere to. Yep. It's exactly the same thing, you know, cause you know, I, there's times where I went to like physical therapy for something they're like, yeah, you probably need to stop working out. And I was like, that's not realistic. And so what you do is you go find another doctor that, you know, you walk in and you can see the doctor like his little jack <laughs> and you're like, this is my guy. And I'll be like, okay. You know, he'd be like, you probably shouldn't work out, but if you're going to work out, do this. And you're like, all right, cool. Cause it yeah. gets you. So that's the kind of thing with, with me coaching competitors and why I love it. I get them. Mm -hmm. I get that they're going to do things that are unconventional. I get that they're okay with going, you know, below 10 times their body weight and calories. And they're okay with doing two hours of cardio. They don't care because to them, those are just obstacles to get them where they're going. And who's to say, like, you know, you shouldn't work more than 40 hours a week. Well, tell that to Jeff Bezos, who's worth a trillion dollars now. Like, it, you know, it's it's for each of us to decide. A coach shouldn't be the one that tells you what you should and shouldn't do. They should just provide, you, you know, the path within what your goals are. Right, right, right.
I had a question lined up and it went right over my head. You got me too excited. <laughs> Good. I'm getting you fired up. I mean, you were asking a lot of questions about the diet break with, uh, with like, like a lifestyle client. So maybe I don't really Yeah. Yeah. It just, I'm trying to think. So it's, it's over my head. Like I said, you got me fired up. That's good. I good. mean, like I said, this is, you, you've been a wealth of knowledge and, you know, I've been consuming your content ever since you, you know, made an appearance with USF in that, in that CSCS class. And I, once again, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. And if you ever have follow-up, you know, if you get good feedback from this, just let me know. We can work out another time. Hey, I, I would appreciate it. Like I said, like you were a, like you were my personal Google for the last hour and I, I'm, gonna, I'm very appreciative. <laughs> I haven't Googled myself in a while. I got to look and see what's on there. It's probably, all, it's probably all YouTube videos. Yeah. Well, you would hope so. The, the SEOs are doing their job. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my website, prophysique.com is actually, um, we've put some tools and some, some, some downloadable materials on there. And that, I actually had to, I got a call from uh, uh, not Amazon, but GoDaddy and uh, GoDaddy was like, um, your server is pegged. Like we, we, you, you need to get off of here. So we had to go from a shared resources to our own, so we're getting so many, you know, visitors to our website. It's a good thing. So like, you know, another thing you learn about business, you got to always be uh, paying attention. You just jogged my memory and it had nothing to do with what you said, but for some reason it worked when, right. when you were going through your prep and then you mentioned that, like, you know, when you're working with your clients, it, it, it's such a great relationship because you understand them. What yes. are, what are some things that you only you would understand or you like get if you like ran through the program, like for, for example, let's say I'd never done a, a peak before or a prep, I would just never get it unless I did it myself. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the things that are hard to understand are the psychological issues that we go through with. So as a competitor, there's going to be periods of time where you look like absolute shit because you're high cardio, low carbohydrate, you're in the gym training, you're constantly depleted. Mm -hmm. And so I'll often have newer competitors be like, coach like I just don't look good I'm in the gym and I don't get a pump and I'm like listen it's a necessary evil watch what happens and I'll give them a two-day refeed and cut their cardio and they'll be like holy crap I look like a new human being and I go listen you just have to understand that we're going to get on stage that's when it matters mm -hmm. it doesn't matter six weeks out how you look in the gym with soccer mom Sally staring at you and going oh you look a little thin today there's going to be that's that's something that's hard to understand is the psychology of contest prep because usually good bros want to look good all the time we're going to take our creatine we're going to have our 100 grams of carbs before we go in the gym we're going to get a sick pump bro understanding that that is not always going to be conducive to getting on stage understanding that you're going to look smaller in your clothes that low body fat while it makes you look more muscular with your shirt off you look less muscular with your clothes on mm -hmm. how do we go around that buy some new clothes i didn't know that my first prep I literally had people asking me if I was still working out and I was like, still working out. I look amazing. And, but I'm wearing my like XL collared long sleeve shirts and people are like, your, your clothes don't fit you. And I'm like, right. okay, I had to go get new clothes. I literally had a different wardrobe for the end of prep, but those are only things you can understand. If you've competed before, you also can't understand like the, the obsession with food. You can't understand the, the, the need to almost kind of, retract from society you want to just focus on yourself and just get through your days and you know like all those things are things I help my clients through when they're like struggling with like well it's our anniversary I don't want to go to dinner and I'm like you got to go to fucking dinner it's your anniversary right. you know and they're like okay you said it's okay because if you don't get the people around you to buy into the competition they're not going to want you to do it anymore mm -hmm. if they're like well I don't like it when Paul does a show because I never see him well, guess what 
you're not going to be doing many shows or you're not going to have any friends. And so the goal of, uh, you know, my goal is to help people prep, not only to get the result they want, but also to get the result they need outside of competing. Um, so those are the kind of things you really understand once you go through it. Um, and almost, you don't even understand once you go through it, only when you go through it multiple times and reflect back. Right. Um, honestly, 2018 was the first time I ever prepped and totally enjoyed the experience because I, nothing bothered me. I was like, Oh, this is fun. It was almost like getting to go back to high school and all the shit you hated. You go, wow, I forgot how much this was fun. Uh Meanwhile, when you're in high school, you hate everything, everything. Um, so now I, when I prep, I just enjoy the process so much more. Yeah, it's, it's incredible what reflection can do. It adds a perspective that most people would never get unless they deliberately look back on their experience and see what they truly loved. And, and I think that's part of like enjoying the process or falling in love with the process is, is the ability to reflect upon what it really was like versus your negative connotation you might have had on it. Yeah, and I mean, the other part of it is, is that I, I'm fully aware that it's a very weird sport. You know, like we diet and train for years diet for months to get on stage for for minutes and from the outside people think it's a complete waste of time um so that's another aspect that i provide is that you know i've been coaching for so many years now i have a group of people that it's like a family where we all kind of support each other and go yeah it's normal that you bring your food with you to disney world that's fine like whereas most people in their lives are ridiculing them or like why are you doing cardio on the weekends you know like most most the people that's one good thing about those old bodybuilding.com forums it was almost like therapy. I was almost like, okay, so I'm not crazy that mm-hmm. I like to read bodybuilding magazines. Like there's all these people, there's just none of them in my gym or in my city. Right. So a lot of those people are people that I'm still friends with to the day because we all kind of got to know each other. You know, you got Lane Norton, Alberto Nunez, Eric Helms, all these people were the people on the message boards with me when I first started. And so I got to know them through that. And we're all still friends. We all still keep in touch and, and you know they're also all doing things and there's other people that you've never heard of but like those those support groups I used to look forward to I would make a post and I would go back the next day and see who replied and I would reply to them and you know like it was like then I would go into their threads and be like oh you're prepping too you know it was like this support group for for crazy people that wanted to get on stage it's it's incredible if you look at any type of uh, successful business or anything successful rather is it, you need to build a community you know, and, and with that community, I think a CrossFit, right? CrossFit yep. is such a cult-like following. I think it's because everyone is suffering together within that hour, you know? Yep. Uh, uh, CrossFit does a wonderful job. Maybe not last year with the whole Black Lives Matter, whatever right. that happened. I didn't, I followed along a little bit. I know the the owner or whatever got fired or kicked out or whatever, but the, the CrossFit thing that, that always stood out to me was that competitive angle where everyone's comparing their wad times and they couldn't wait to go back. And, you know, it was a huge community, like uh, almost, you know, people make fun of CrossFitters because they're such a strong community. So I guess the last question, and I promise it's the last this time is um, I I'm, I'm a firm believer that resistance training does teach us a lot of correct life values. And I'm just curious of your thought process on it when it comes to, like weightlifting for me, it's, you know, the delayed gratitude and like you have, you can't cheat the grind. You know what I'm saying? Like you, the end of the day, like if you didn't put in the work, you're going to look in the mirror. You didn't, you're not going to get the results. It doesn't matter how you post online. It doesn't matter if you lie to somebody that hit a certain weight. It, it, at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. I was just curious, like, what did, what do you get out of resistance training? 
You know, I think initially it was probably highly narcissistic. I thought, okay, if I can bench press 200 pounds, then, you know, Brenda's going to uh, go on a date with me. Um, and, and, you know, there may be some truth to that. There is some benefit perhaps to your confidence in that with lifting weights, but now it's almost a meditative thing for me, like getting in the gym every day, doing my cardio. I just feel like a better human being, a better father, a better business owner. Uh, bodybuilding for me has, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned delayed gratification and something that I've realized about myself over the years is that almost all my pursuits are delayed gratification suits. The things that I most enjoy from, from the time I was a kid are things that you don't get reward right away. So I've got a guitar right here. I've been playing guitar since I was 17. Um, there's that pile that is all baseball cards. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a mountain from the seventies and eighties. I've been collecting baseball cards since I was a kid and guess what? Now it's starting to pay off. Those cards are now worth a lot more than they were when I was a kid because they're 30, 40 years old. Um, and the same thing goes with bodybuilding. Your first year of lifting weights, there's not going to be any, hardly anyone's going to hardly notice, right? Unless you just bulk up and put on 50 pounds of body fat. But now at 45 years old, when I stand next to most 45 year olds, I look different. I feel different. I, I still feel like I'm 20 years old. And so these delayed gratifications, they apply themselves to business. They apply themselves to relationships, kids, uh, you know, weightlifting is a perfect metaphor for life. You get into it, what you put out of it, but it's also like, it's not linear in progress. You know, the gains you make the first year of weightlifting, you know, you can, I, I call that like the period where you get to find out who the fake weightlifters are. Right. A lot of people lift weights for six months or a year and they're like, yeah, man, I really made some progress. Guess what? After two years, you're not making any more progress. Mm -hmm. It's going to be slow going. It's going to be like, you're going to get a PR here and there. You might notice some changes here and there, but it's nothing's going to be like that first year, two years. Mm -hmm. But the people that stick with it for 25, 30 years, like I didn't lift weights hardly at all last year. And I lost hardly any muscle because I've been doing it for 23 years. Mm -hmm. I had a couple injuries. We moved two times. I was lucky if I was lifting once or twice a week. I went on 32 different trips for bodybuilding shows. I, I, I was amazed when I, like four weeks ago, I started a transformation challenge. I took some pictures and I was amazed at how much muscle I still had. I thought I was going to be much smaller. Now, of course, over the last four weeks, I've completely transformed, but that's muscle memory. But Mm -hmm. it's, it's something you get to keep. And it's just a reminder that if you work for something really hard for a really long time, you get to keep it. If you work for a very short amount of time and get something right away, you're probably not going to get to keep it unless you keep up that same level of effort. Right. So right. I guess that's your metaphor.